This morning, we are going to be in Revelation chapter 21, and we were in Revelation 21 last week and looked at the first several verses there, but I was not able to to make it through all of that. And so um, we are going to be this morning in Revelation 22, sorry, chapter 21, starting in verse 22. And as we look at this together, um, I do want to let you know that we will be having the Lord's Supper at the end of our service, and we have a somewhat open communion. If you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, um, then it's open to you, right? It, we encourage that you have been baptized, um, but if, if you are not a believer, if you are not a Christian, then this is something that um, we encourage you to experience and, and to see as we partake in this uh, ceremony, this tradition of the church that Jesus himself told us to do, to remember him in this way. And so uh, as we're doing this at the end of the service, I do want to encourage you, if you're not a believer, to just experience this with us. And if you are a believer, then I want to challenge you that uh, Paul is very clear in his letter to the church at Corinth um, that we are not to take the Lord's Supper in an inappropriate way, that we are to examine ourselves that we are to make sure that if there is any sin in our life that is unconfessed, that we are confessing that sin and that we are serious about living for Christ and doing things his way when we take the Lord's Supper. And so as we're reading this scripture, as we're preparing to take the Lord's Supper, I just want to encourage you to to truly turn your attention this morning to um, what God's word says, but also what he is saying inside of your heart, what he is telling you uh, and convicting you of as far as sin that might be in your life. And I pray that as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning, that it would be a time of true worship where we remember what Christ has done for us. And with remembering what he has done for us, we also look forward to the day when he will return, which is, by the way, what we're looking at here in Revelation chapter 21. And so if you would, look at, with me at Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 22. And this is what John says. And I saw no temple in the city. All right, so I'm going to stop there for a second. And in case someone wasn't here last week, um, I want to remind you what city he is talking about. He is talking about the new Jerusalem. If you were to go back to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, he saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down. Now, here's, here's what I know, is that I don't know all the details about what this is saying. Now, don't get me wrong. I've read the books, okay? But when you go to the different biblical scholars and, and even historically throughout the years, throughout the centuries, different people have different understandings about what this means. Um, I don't know the details of what, about what this means, and I'm not sure that anybody does, but here's what I do know, is that the heart of what's being said here is God is making things new, that the world as we know it, the struggle with sin, the struggle with pain, the struggle with death, those things will be over with, and he is 
making a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, in the previous chapter, he talks about how the old earth fled. The old kings fled. And that's just words to, to use to describe that when Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes to reign, that things are different. He's, gonna, he's coming back to fix things, to make things new. Now, for those of you who maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home or you didn't grow up hearing these things, this might, might sound pretty wild. And for some of you who maybe you did grow up in a Christian home, but these things weren't talked about and you've never made it to the end of the Bible and you're reading through it, then maybe this is new for you. Um, but here's what we know, is that while Jesus was alive on earth, he said things about himself that people didn't understand. Some people understood, and some people understood in part, but he was the only one that understood in whole. And people um, were trying to make him to be this earthly king, and all along he said, look, that's not why I'm here. Now, that time was to come, it is to come, but that was not why he came. He didn't come to be this conquering king, although he did conquer, but he did it through being a suffering servant. He came and he served others. He loved others. He put other people before himself, even though he was God, and he deserved to be first. He deserved to be king. He deserved to be worshipped, and yet he put others first. He served others. And he did that even to the point of death. And when he died on the cross, he wasn't dying for some pointless reason. He wasn't dying, um, well, let me frame this. Yes, the, his kin, the Jewish people, especially the religious leaders of the Jewish people. Um, remember, Jesus was Jewish. His disciples, many, many, most of his followers at the time of his death were Jewish. But the Jewish leaders in the hierarchy at the time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they did not like what Jesus was saying. And so, yes, they're the ones who led the crusade against Jesus, who wanted to um, have him killed. And yes, Pilate and the Romans, they are the ones who executed him. They could have said no, okay? So, yes, they had a hand in it. But ultimately, Jesus said... No one can take my life from me. I laid down my life. He laid down his life as a sacrifice. And when he did that, he made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. Because when he was doing that, he covered the, the, the debt of our sins. Because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. We talk about this often. Um, this is in Romans, and we'll actually, in a couple of weeks, be going to Romans and looking at uh, some of the places where it says some of these things. Um, but... He, he says, or Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We talked about that last week. And so what that means is, is that when we've done wrong, that's sin. When we've done wrong in God's eyes, um, we've sinned. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so all of us were separated from a relationship with God. So we needed someone to fix that. And that someone was Jesus. Jesus came. He never sinned. He didn't deserve death. He didn't deserve punishment. He didn't deserve any of that. And yet he willingly took it for us. He took our punishment for us that we deserved. And if we accept that payment that he made on our behalf, then we can have a relationship with him and that we can have a relationship with the Father. And it's only through Christ and through our faith in him that we can have that relationship according to Scripture. And we'll be fleshing this out more in the coming weeks. 
But when he came and when he died on the cross and when he saved us, he wasn't just talking about, um, he didn't just mention what was going to happen to him when he died. He also mentioned that he would be raised again, that there would be a resurrection. And he didn't just mention that there would be a resurrection. He mentioned, he told his disciples that I will come again for you, that you will dwell with me. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and this place is going to have many rooms, some mansions, whatever, and, and he is coming back for us. And we are told throughout the Bible many times that God is, is in the process of making things right, that God will make all things new. And here we are, we come to the end of Revelation, and we see that this is the moment of truth, that this is the moment that has been prophesied about. This is the moment that has been spoken about. And he says in, at the beginning of Revelation 21 that he sees a new heaven and a new earth coming down. And he sees new Jerusalem in, chapter, in verse 2. Now, what does all this mean? I'm not exactly sure what all this means, except that I know that he is making all things new. That all the pain and stuff that we experience, like I mentioned earlier, will no longer be the, the, the common experience of man. That those who have a relationship with God, whose name is in the book of life, as we will see, as we continue studying the end of Revelation, um, will dwell with him. And there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. He will wipe away every tear, just as we read last week. And so now in verse 22, he says, And I saw no temple. In this new Jerusalem, in this new earth, he sees no temple, no church in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. We don't have to come to the tabernacle, to the temple, to the church. We don't have to come to a house of worship because the whole earth will be a house of worship. This whole city where God is will be a house of worship. It will all be worshipful because He will be there. He will be in our presence and so for those of you who might not know the Lord, who might not have this relationship with Jesus that I've been talking about, this might not be a big deal. But for those of us who are Christians, who are believers, this needs to be a huge deal. We get to dwell with God in a way where there's not this going to church to experience Him. It's all around us. It's all the time. And, and if we are to take the New Testament seriously, then this process has already begun. Right? Where is the temple of the Holy Spirit now? Right here. And so this is making it complete. I, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Now, I don't know if this is being literal or not. All I know is that whatever is going on here and whatever John is seeing, that... The sun, which how important is the sun to humans? Well, you know, we would just die without it. And our earth, the earth would, would not exist. And we have to be like the exact distance that we are from it in order for us, for this planet to have life. And God has created things so specifically like this. And here, this thing that was so important to, so, to the entire history of humankind there's no need for it anymore because God's taking care of it all. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light 
and its lamp is the lamb. Now, again, this is figurative language. First of all, Jesus isn't really a lamb. And second of all, that lamb is not really a lamp. However, this is the, the words that John chose to show us how great God is and how important Jesus is in that moment, that God the Father gives the light through his son, the lamb, the lamp. And so, as we continue reading in verse 24, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it glory and the, uh, the glory and the honor of the nations. Now, remember, the old nations, all those who have not, whose sin have not been forgiven, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, it says that they're out of the picture at this point as far as the new heaven and the new earth go. And so what we see here is that those who are left on earth, this new earth, are those who have a relationship with Jesus. And they're bringing their worship to him. And they're guided by him. And everything on earth is centered around him. Just like the sun today. We, we're in trouble without it, right? Well, it's the same way in this new heaven, this new earth. Jesus is the centerpiece. Verse 26, they, and they will bring it the glory and the honor of the nations. But, verse 27, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, the book of life is talked about many times in Scripture, and this is the only time where it's called the Lamb's book of life. And this is for those who have been saved, their name is written in this book. And again, I don't know if this is a literal book somewhere sitting in heaven right now with names in it. Um, or if this is just by John saying those who have a relationship with Jesus. Um, if your names, if you don't have a relationship, you won't be there. Because, I know this sounds exclusive, it, is, it excludes people. But we know that salvation only comes through Jesus because the Bible says it over and over and over and over again. Now, different people argue about what that means. Some people say that, yes, salvation comes through Jesus, but as long as you're a good person, well, we know that's not true because the Bible says that works cannot lead us to salvation. And some people say, um, well, yes, but they have faith in a God. And so they, they might not know his name, but they have faith in a God, and so therefore they will be in heaven. And to that, I'll say we, we, we just have to be careful because in Romans, we are told that how will they believe if they do not hear? How will they call on the name of Jesus if they haven't heard it? Why would Paul even say that if there wasn't a need for them to hear his name, to, to believe in him? And so, again, I don't have all the answers, but what I do know is that there is no salvation apart from Christ and that we need him. And if we want our names to be written in the Lamb's book of life, then we have to belong to the Lamb, right? Okay, so I, I'm going to go ahead and go into chapter 22. We're going to cover these last five or these next five verses, um, and then we'll, we'll transition into the Lord's Supper. But here's what I want to, uh, to make sure is that 
there is no way for me in, in these sermons, especially in just the few I'm saying in Revelation, to cover the importance of this. You know, if, if you want to know more about this, then, then you need to study this on your own time. And you need to make sure that as you're studying it, that you are making the major things major, meaning that there is plenty of stuff we don't know or can't know in Revelation. Don't get bogged down in that. Focus on the important things. And that's what I'm trying to do in these sermons. Verse 22, sorry, chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Remember last week I, talked, I, I sent, um, who did I send upstairs? Logan, right? Yeah, Logan. I sent Logan upstairs to look at the soundboard, and, I, um, and Logan is 10. So I'm having a 10-year-old explain this complex piece of equipment upstairs, and he doesn't know that I'm doing this. He doesn't know what's going on. And he does a pretty good job. He says, it looks like a computer. It has a bunch of knobs. There's a bunch of wires plugged into the back, right? So some of you were, I'm sure, able to guess uh, what he was talking about. Um, and then maybe others weren't. And so that's how, what John is doing. He is using the best language he has to describe what he is seeing, which he is, you know, having this vision uh, or taken in, into the future, into what's going on. And he's seeing this as it's unfolding, but he doesn't always have the words to describe. And maybe he did, and this is just the way he chose to um, describe things. But how, how was this water of life? It was unpolluted. It was bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 2. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Now, we remember this tree if you remember... Uh, Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, and the tree of life did not have the same um, purpose back then. They, in, in that time, they could eat of any tree except the tree of life, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that time, that was the, um, the avenue that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God through. They ate that fruit, and that was the only thing God told them not to do, and yet they did it. And so here we see this tree of life, but it's not representing any sort of sin. It says the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Some people believe that this is literally one tree. Some people believe it's 12 different trees, uh, but it seems to say here that it's one tree with 12 different fruits, which is interesting. Uh, The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this tree, um, as God's reign had begun, and before the new heaven and the new earth, it had already done the healing, um, started the healing. And remember that this is a time where once we get saved, once we ask Jesus to save us, we're saved. And And he sanctifies us, which is a part of salvation, which just means that he has set us aside for his purposes, and he has making us more and more into his image the more we know him, the longer we know him, if, if we are growing in him. And, but one day that sanctification will be complete, okay? Our salvation will be complete. And this is that moment. Salvation is complete. And so verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed. So the tree, sin in general, will, will not be there. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. 
So when we get to heaven, I have no idea what heaven's going to be like. There are so many different opinions about what heaven's going to be like. Um, some people believe that we are going to dwell in a place much like earth, but it's uh, unhindered by sin. And so imagine your favorite things that honor God on earth, and you, can, you will be able to glorify God in that way in heaven. Um, other people believe that it, we're basically going to be in this different realm where all we're going to do is, is worship the Father and the Son day in and day out. And, and I believe that we will be worshiping the Father and the Son day in and day out. I'm just not exactly sure what that worship will look like. And so what we do know is that worship will be the centerpiece of what we're doing in heaven. Just how will we be worshiping? We know that we'll be singing songs because we've already seen that in Revelation. People singing songs. We, we will be saying truth about God. Worthy are you to, um, to receive all glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your pleasure they exist and were created. Well, uh, we know that, that we will be saying things like that to God. We've seen that. The angels say those things uh, to God. So no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. For those of you who know the Bible, who has seen God's face and lived? No one. And what will we get to do? We will get to see God's face. We will get to be there to worship him. And his name will be on their foreheads. Again, that's not literally Jehovah or Jesus, Yeshua. We're not literally going to have a name written on our forehead. This just means that we belong to him. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So we're not just going to be peasants in heaven, none of us. We are going to be friends with God. We are going to reign with God forever and ever. Now, we won't be receiving the worship. He will be receiving all the worship, but we are more than conquerors in Christ, and this will be realized one day, not just in temporary moments, not just in situational events in our life, but this will be made known for all of us. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a day where there's no more sickness, no more suffering, no more death? Can you imagine when you will no longer feel betrayal, when you will no longer feel pain? Can you imagine a day where this occurs? Because I long for this day. I, long, I love my life, but I'm ready for this day. But the Lord is being patient, according to what Peter writes in the Bible. The Lord is not going back on his promise, but he is being patient for the sake of those who haven't called on him, for the sake of those who don't know him. And so I hope that, that reading this gets you excited about heaven, that it gets you excited that you will be dwelling with God that it gets you excited that there will be a day with no more pain, with no more suffering, with no more tears. I hope that you get excited about that. But as you get excited about that, I want you to realize that we have a responsibility in the present to worship God. And not only do we have a responsibility now to honor him with our lives and to worship him with our lives, but we need to realize that we have an opportunity to do something right now that we will not have an opportunity to do when Revelation 22 rolls around. And what that is, is we have an opportunity to tell people about the love of Jesus. We have an opportunity to tell people about how he has changed our life. And I'm not talking about beating people over the head with it or telling people, you're going to hell if you don't follow Jesus. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, let's go tell people about his love. 
Let's go, tell, let's go stand up for people who are experiencing suffering, who are experiencing pain. Let's stand up for them. But let's also do like Jesus did and turn around and say, go and sin no more. It's both. We show grace, we pour out grace, but we stand on truth. And if you want to do one of those things and not both of those things, if you just want to stand on truth and say, now, uh, these people are sinners and they don't deserve God's love. Well, that might be true, but none of us deserve God's love. And Jesus didn't just come in truth. He, he came in truth and grace. And so we have to show grace. But if you just want to show grace and say, uh, who are we to judge? Um, no one can judge but God. Well, that's true too. Uh, however, the Bible also tells us the appropriate ways to judge. And why would the Bible tell us how to judge correctly if we're not to judge at all? And so we are to love people, and when we see them in sin, when we see them doing things that go against God's will, we are to lovingly and gently try to get them to see things God's way. Try to let them, the most important thing is, try to let them see their need for Jesus and their their need for salvation. And so what are we doing here this morning? How are we living our lives? We have a new season approaching a lot of us. Um, I, I know that the calendar year runs from January to December, um, but for most of us, our years really run from August to May, and then there's this beautiful, uncalendared time of summer and, and that teachers have experienced. It, or if you want to look at it from the parents' point of view, <sighs> summer. And now there's this beautiful beginning of the new year where the kids are going back to school. Don't ask the teachers how they feel about that, but their kids are going back to school. And we have an opportunity in this new time for many people. I know some people aren't affected by this new time of the year, but for many, many people in our community, in our country, and around the world, um, this is an important time. And so how can we leverage this important time to help show people the love of Jesus. To use newness in this sense of school starting to prepare us for a day when newness will come through Jesus. When he will make all things new. And so I hope and I pray that right now that as we're about to take the Lord's Supper that you are preparing your hearts. That you are, um, if you've never chosen to follow Jesus, if you've never placed your faith in him and asked him to save you and to forgive you of your sins and to be your Lord, then you can ask him to do that this morning. But this is something that's between you and God. This is something that he needs to be convicting you of, a truth that you know you need to follow. And for those of you who already have a relationship with him, Are you living in the ever-present truth that life is short and limited and fragile and that unless God returns, death will come for us all? And so we need to make every day count. We need to do the best we can to serve the Lord today. And we need to realize that there are people around us who need his love and who need to know about him. And we need to do a great job of showing them that to his honor, to his glory, because he deserves it. Not because other people deserve it. There are some people we like, and there are some that we have a hard time with. 
but we don't love people based on what they deserve because none of us deserve what God gives us. We love people based on the fact that they are created by God, that he loves them, that he desires that no man shall perish. He desires to have a relationship with them. So let's tell them about him. During this time of invitation, you respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. If you need to come down and pray with me or to pray at the altar, if you need to um, follow Jesus for the first time or recommit your life in this season of new, if you need to recommit your life to, to following him wholeheartedly, then now's the time for that. If you want to join our church and, and you, you want to join a group of people who are imperfectly pursuing Jesus and longing for this day and doing our best to prepare for it, uh, then I would love for you to do that. You, you do whatever God is leading you to do. Uh, let's stand. We're going to have a short prayer, and we'll have our invitation. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that you would convict us this morning of what changes need to take place in our life, that you would just, that we would be able to see just a taste of your glory, of how awesome you are, that you would reveal that to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You respond in whatever way God's leading you. seated. Uh, we are going to, um, I'm going to ask our deacons to come up, and we are going to have a, a time of uh, the Lord's Supper, of doing that together, sharing that together, that experience. And before we do, I, I just want to um, bring your attention to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and in this, Paul is giving instructions on the Lord's Supper. And as he's given instructions on the Lord's Supper, he is um, reminding them of what Christ did for them. He was, he's reminding them of the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And at that Last Supper, Jesus gave some specific instructions on what to do. And so as we're going through this, what, how we're going to do it is, is I'm going to ask one of our deacons to pray for us, and then we will... Uh, pass out these individual items for you. And if you are a Christian, and if you want to take the Lord's Supper, and you're in good standing with God this morning, then we encourage you to do so. But if there's any reason why you choose not to take the Lord's Supper, then that is completely fine. Um, just, you know, pass the trays as, as they come by you, and you don't have to take anything out of it. And you can just experience this that we're doing together. And so, 
Um, before we get started, I'm going to ask Robert, if you would, if you would pray for us.